coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, once again, I am the fucking pilot back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And crammed into the can with me are a whole bunch of cool cats with some uh, serious stories to tell. So uh, tell me, who the fuck are you guys and what do you do? We are the PD Factory team. Actually, we are here, the the European division of the PD Factory team. There is a lot of members on that team, but here we are just Europeans, four of us. My name is Pablo Hernandez from Spain. All right. Uh, my name is Brian Vasher from England. Ciao, I'm Armando Fatoruso from Italy. Ciao, I'm Mario Fatoruso from Italy. Oh, wow. Okay. Wait, wait. I heard the same last name there, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Is, right. is there a reason for that? Well, as uh, we are brotherhoods, we start to bring brothers in <laughs> the, the brotherhood. <laughs> the same mother. Brothers. Exactly. Tech for sure. Tech. Same, same mother, brothers, and on the PD factory team. Yeah. All right. That's pretty cool. We're going to get to that story for sure. Oh, yeah, man. So we got a lot of ground to cover, though, before we get to the fact that you guys are on, like, one of the premier swoop teams ever in the history of Nylon. Um <laughs> Obviously, you guys all started somewhere. So, uh, um, how did the skydiving career start for each and every one of you? I mean, uh, uh, what uh, what drew you to jumping out of planes? So, for me, it was the family. I had a father. I mean, I have a father who is a skydiver. He has been jumping all his life. He's on his sixties now, like sixty-two years old, and he's still jumping, man. He's nice. still he's still throwing drugs, you know. And all he wants to do is to keep throwing drugs. That's awesome. Like. Uh, he keeps talking to me, yeah, I have this goal now. I have 12,000 tandems and I want to get to 15,000 tandems. I'm like, Father, there is no need to do that. You, know? <laughs> you, are, you are good with where you are at. Right. So he was my mentor. I was uh, 11 years old. I did the tandem. Then 14 years old, I did my static line course, of course, with him. Sure. And then I did uh, an illegal an illegal AFF course at the age of, yeah, I mean, 14. I did a static line course. And then straight away, he took me for a free fall. He oh, hauled. Wow. He hold my side, you know, the, the <laughs> arm grip, the leg grip, ready, set, go. And then uh, that's it. Everything, wow. everything started from there. Wow. So all, all from family. Was it something you wanted to do? I mean, at 11 years old, uh, um, there's a lot of cool shit to do. Jumping out of airplanes isn't necessarily one of them. Did he like beat you up and say you're fucking jumping out of a plane? Or <laughs> Nah, I was obsessed, man. It's the only thing I wanted to do in life. Jumping, cool. jumping from a plane. Obsessed Very cool. from the beginning. Very cool. Well, that's, that's a nice way to start. And you're actually not the first one uh, that I've had in here that said the same thing. Junior was the same way. Him and his dad started out. And, and uh, uh, Jarrett Martin has also done uh, with his father. So, all right, next up. So, yeah, um, my name's Brian. And, and I started jumping because my mom used to jump. And <laughs> she She's like, she was a bit of a crazy lady. She kind of didn't jump till she was 50. I think she jumped for raising money for the church roof somewhere mm. in England. Very English thing to do, but yeah, she decided to do that and did like 250 jumps and then decided to be a pilot. Wow. And then, um, and so went off to Australia with my father and they learned to fly and, and basically got, I'm from, I'm from a family of pilots now. So I'm, my brothers fly, both my brothers fly, my mum flies, my dad flies, uh, my, I'm married to a pilot, flies for BA, and uh, and I've done some plane work, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't for me. <laughs> for so, sure. so as far as that goes, you're kind of the black sheep. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Totally, totally. Nice. But I think, you know, everyone, everyone in our family has 
their place. But we have some pretty interesting, boring uh, conversations about aerodynamics and what's that old joke? If you want to know uh, which person in the room is a pilot, don't worry, don't they'll tell you. Tell you. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny that you said uh, uh, it's a very English thing to jump out of an airplane to earn money because I just sat down with uh, um, with Regan. Tetlow, oh, yeah. who said the same yeah, thing. Same he did his thing, first yeah. jump to try and buy a, a CAT scan machine for uh, yeah. one of the, the little village uh, ladies that yeah, had, uh, had sure. something going on. Very strange way to get things going. <laughs> yeah, and it, I guess it was like, I think she jumped in the 80s. So I think she did a tandem in the 80s. And I, my first jump actually was a tandem when I was 17, but it was kind of like no big thing. I was into other stuff and then uh, through the military got into it. When I was like 20 before, because it was really expensive as well. You know what sure. it's like. It's really expensive. And, um, but I managed to kind of get my training done through the military wraps. And so that put me under a lot of canopy time. And, you know, usual stuff, usual progression through through the sport. And then the best thing in the world was to meet Pablo <laughs> in Leo, in Skydive Leo. Like we went, I went to Spain, some friends, and I was come, went up to, to Leo to, to do some stuff and uh, and I met this crazy kid at that time who was Pablo like sure. 17 so we've known each other yeah since you were 17 right yeah we that's crazy 18 years old yeah 18 yeah. years old long time ago and he was flying a Sabre 2 107 turning dirty low oh, toggling out toggle every, yeah, oh, for sure no <laughs> No, uh, you're the reason I fucking still hate, <laughs> hate watching landings to this day because I have flashbacks of the shit that used to scare the hell out of me. All right, so the Italians. So yeah. we more or less have the same background. I mean, we coming from uh, the second generation of skydiver. For us, it was uh, the our father is still jumping, not like Pablo fathers, but <laughs> chill, more chill. And uh, yeah, before the 16. Which was the legal uh, age, just to get back. <laughs> the, we before that we did uh, several, uh, let's say, called call normal sports. Sure. Football, volleyball, we whatever. At when when I turn, as I I'm the older, I'm Armando, I'm the older. I turn 16. I look at my father, and say, "Hey, this is not the minimum age uh, for do the effect first." That. I, I see the chest of my father get big and wide and <laughs> oh my god my son wanna do skydiving really for real so then uh, how we start so I started to do the, um, skydiving in 2001 and Mario followed me as soon he turns 16 as well wow and it was cool because this was the first time really that we we jumped together as a family during his AFF my father was the instructor I was the outside videos uh, wow. I, yeah, yeah, when I was uh, I was doing the FF, I I could not see the the eyes of my father shaking like for the joy to sure. jump with his son sure. because I was student man. I, I was jumping from fourteen thousand feet high. I will, I have something to do. Sure, sure, that's but, really cool. Yeah, but when uh, with jumps with experience and uh, I was following Mario FF, I from outside point of view I could see my father like getting. Oh my God! It, I, my second son is gonna jump out from the plane. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, as Pablo, as Brian, we literally grew up in the skydiving world. I, I don't have different memories. Spend weekends in a drop zone. Mm. I mean, 
with the other kids playing football, whatever. But it was every single weekend in a drop zone. Sure. It's, you know, it's kind of funny because I did not start out that way. I actually started jumping relatively late in life. I didn't do my first jump until I was 27. Um, but I've met, obviously, over all these years now, many, many people that grew up in the sport and were drop zone kids. Were you like a lot of the other drop zone kids where you had friends that were much older than you and you never really got treated like a kid because you're hanging around with a bunch of 20-something-year-olds that are using you as packing weights and talking shit and not editing themselves? I mean, uh, was it... Uh, um, you definitely had to have a different childhood that way. I mean, but how cool, right? Definitely, definitely. It was a, a very, my child, the our childhood was a very big piece of our life because in the weekend, man, we made the best people in the world. Mm. Like there was people hungry, there was people uh, bad, like in the bad mood. I mean, weekend, Saturday night, barbecue at the drop zone at the party. end of the day. Yeah, party oh, all night yeah. long, yep. man. We have so many pictures of us when we was kids. Like it was every single weekend was a party. So seriously, like <laughs> the best people in the world are skydiving. Yeah. I'm sorry to say yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure you guys would agree. Pretty much the overriding theme to every podcast that I've done so far is that above and beyond the jumping, it's the community. Yeah. Much, much, even more so than the jumping, because obviously, uh, especially if you're a Brit, you a lot of weather days. Yeah. A lot of times sitting on the ground, <laughs> getting in trouble, you know? Yeah. Although yeah. oh, that, that's changed. You know, that's that's definitely something I've seen. I started jumping in 93, and I've seen, definitely seen the change where it was total commitment in England. You go to the drop zone if it was pissing with rain. But <laughs> now, you know, like with the tunnel, and the, that, that change is like people are much more. Uh, picky about what they do with their weekends well don't they all go to florida well yeah that's it <laughs> florida dubai anywhere hot sure well yeah. now uh pablo for you uh, um i mean you grew up and started super young that's that's really really young uh, how how was it when you start out that young to really wrap your head around the serious side of the sport because at the end of the day we do a great job of making skydiving as safe as we possibly can but it's still fucking dangerous so at that age, when you're starting that young, uh, did, do you think looking back, you had a good grasp on the severity of what you were doing? Man, you know what? I'm a father now. My daughter, who is four years old, I'm going to never let her jump <laughs> when she will be 14 years old. Right? Like right? If, I, if I think back, I can, write, I can write 10 different close calls that I had when I was 14 years old. Yeah. You know? yeah. I have been uh, just sit flying and... At 3,000 feet, it's flying and seeing a parachute two meters away in front of me, two meters, voila, going from the, from the bottom all the way up, full speed, for yeah. example, you know, and things like this, unlimited, unlimited close calls. Yeah. At 14, 15, 16 years old, not having a clue, not having a big, not, not seeing the big picture of well, it. there's no you know? fear at that age either. Yeah, no, no fear at all, man, no fear at all. It's, uh, you know, it's funny because I've got a daughter as well and, and she's had, she has made a couple of skydives, but uh, doesn't actively want to become a skydiver. She's getting ready to go into law school, which is just fine with me. Um, but the running joke used to be, it wasn't that I was worried about the, the safety aspect of skydiving. It was that I was worried about the community aspect of skydiving. <laughs> the joke was, I'll let my daughter jump, just not at a fucking drop zone. <laughs> yeah, right? That's a good call. Man. Oh, yeah. And and when she would come to visit me at the drop zones when she was still too young to jump, I made damn sure every swinging dick on the drop zone knew that was my kid. <laughs> and I am willing to go to prison. And that you had a big gun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and even, even uh, when I've lived abroad, it's it's well known that I know people. 
<laughs> with guns. So, <laughs> so you you survived those young years. When do you think you really started to get a grasp on? Holy shit! I, not only what I'm doing is pretty badass, but it's a little sketchy. I think when I started seeing uh, <laughs> the first the first accidents, you know. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. When you start seeing the first accidents in the sport and you start realizing, oh, oh, this is not just uh, not just fun, you know, mm. there is a there is a dark side that hopefully you don't get there. <laughs> uh, I think, well, yeah, hopefully you're not the one that gets it. But skydiving is probably the only sport I know of where I am happy to learn from other people's mistakes. Totally, man. It's the only one. Better you than I, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you started out young, too. So uh, um, mom was a jumper, but not not crazy active yeah. so she kind of got into yeah flying pretty quick after that actually um but the same yeah like it took and in england it's the accelerator it's not like you know it's somewhere hot <laughs> it rains all the time so it's never it's never accelerated in terms of your progression it mm. takes a lot longer to get sort of jump numbers in um but i was lucky to shoot a lot of video that was a good way at that time to get into a lot of canopy flight and be in the air and, and not have to pay for it you know so i did like team video which gave me a lot of canopy time and also um you know it means i didn't have a bill at the end of the week so so that was a good way to get the jumps in but same thing you know you kind of think you're invincible and then eventually you start to see your experience or get close to or lose start losing friends and so yeah of course there's always that dark side but sure and, what it is. and you guys same thing uh, um starting out so young um again you're invincible as a kid I wasn't a skydiver, but you'd put me on a bicycle, <laughs> you know, and when I was I was just barely old enough to start driving and get behind the wheel of a car, there's nothing I wouldn't do. Fuck it. Let's go, you know, and, and uh, off to the races. So you guys are jumping out of airplanes. Same thing, you know. Uh, did you get yourself some close calls? Honestly, I, w- I would say so far and touching wood, no. Why? Because when we were kids and we grew up, every single time, Things we could climb and jump out to simulate uh, the landing, we did it. Oh, yeah. Like we have, uh, I remember, I have memories uh, in the, our uh, house. We climb over a library and we aim for a small pillow like there, <laughs> simulating the competition for a classic accuracy. And I have a, a, another memory. Our father was a mentor. He was a he still, and uh, he, he gave the our example of a low turn. Mm. I remember. The childhood, you know, when you have kids, you get back from uh, school at home and you see your mom preparing your meal uh, middle of the day. And I remember at one point it was Monday and I saw my father at home rather than my mother. I say, what? Why are you here like this? I know, because yesterday, Sunday, uh, I landed hard on the ground. So he did a low turn. Mm. He fully, bam, <laughs> smashed his uh, bottom. Oh. And I remember for the whole week he was... Lay down on the couch, uh, looking down, so us yep. up, yep. and I, that's what for me was first lesson: never turn low. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I actually broke my tailbone uh, quite a few years back, and uh, I still feel it from time to time. <laughs> you see, it's depending on the activity, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the the big theme for all four of you guys is you you started young, and at least initially there wasn't any fear in the sport because you were all pretty accustomed to it, which is very different from my story because. Quite literally, for the first few hundred jumps, I was scared shitless of skydiving. Why I kept doing it, I still don't know. I don't know what little worm in my mind made me keep going. I actually had a place on the freeway where I could turn around. If I got to this place and decided, nope, I can't jump, I could turn around and I could hold my head up high and not be a pussy. But if I drove past that, I had to go to the drop zone and jump. 
And I would, every time I'm in the plane going, why the fuck am I doing this? I've survived it. Why am I getting back in the plane? Then, of course, you leave the plane. You have a great day at jumping and you remember. But that memory is very short-lived because as soon as the sun comes up the next day, you're right back to going, what the fuck? So you guys didn't have that. How cool. Or did you? Uh, yeah, I think, I think I I mean, I don't know about others, but I I think it's people are just bullshitting if they if they, if they <laughs> say that their first 200 jumps they're like yeah yeah it was easy because everybody's nervous everyone's like yeah. that and i think for sure if you're older and you're starting there uh respect respect to my mom and people like you that that older you tend to be wiser right and, mm. and you're not going to make that call but and younger you kind of you're still doing it i mean for sure i know that at least i was shitting bricks for like a long time you know and we st- i think that's also one of the reasons why everybody in this room is still here you know mm. what i mean that you we have a, a healthy respect for it we know uh that we 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 inside we're scared and and that maybe we need to you know take care sure well and especially with uh, the progression that you guys have taken and obviously we're heading that direction and what you guys do now um as you got further along in the sport and uh, do what you do now, the risk level is going through the roof. You know, I mean, statistically speaking, uh, your venue in skydiving is the most dangerous. Um, so you have to have that head screwed on straight. Uh, and I'm guessing uh, the the years, especially since you guys started so young and had close calls when you were so young, had to have um, prepared you for dealing with, you know, having to calm yourself down and back it down a little bit if you had those close calls when you're 14 years old pablo i mean holy shit that's that's got to do something yes man yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> yes um you know what when i was a kid but it, it happened to me too when i was a kid 14 years old going to the drop zone in the morning on the weekends even at that time if the weather was bad on the way to the drop zone if the weather was bad i was happy internally you know i'm like okay i'm not jumping today man Great. I'm right. going to just go and play Diabolo and play with the ball and right. just enjoy my day at the drops. I'm not jumping. Oof. It's not going to be a stressful day. And even nowadays, you know, nowadays with, with my experience that a lot of jumps, now I think I get more nervous and stressed and I think things twice sure. before doing what we do cool you know? so it's not just me because there's days that i'm sitting on the ground at the drop zone going i'm loving being able to say i'm a skydiver not showing that i'm one <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think that's that's the trait of of what we do in our discipline is um and i say this quite a lot to people like it oh, it looks crazy and and you know got great sort of close calls and stuff like that but i think most of us in this room are kind of the same type of person we we actually think a lot about what we're doing and i say this a lot but canopy pilots tend to be really anal you know mm. they they we want to know data we want to know that this is going to happen and this this distance is going to work and this altitude is going to work and this space is going to work because in uh, and, I, and i think that's why the discipline attracts certainly me it's it's uh it's controlling all of these things but with this added pressure that you know if you make a mistake the, the ground is there whereas if you go wild in free fall doing whatever you want to do and trying whatever you do you still have this safety margin sure um and so and it, and it tends to focus people and i think that 
where people have been successful with our team is where we've got that type of person. Sure. Well, I mean, the days of uh, fucking toggle whipping a stiletto over the pee pits are long gone, (laughs) you know? I mean, I remember, as I'm sure you guys do, when uh, the running joke was you had to prove you had 500 jumps before you could buy a stiletto, Uh, you know, because it was that hardcore. And, uh, of course, anybody and everybody had one, and people were frapping in left, right, and center because they hadn't figured it out, and they're there, there wasn't that thought into it because it was just starting to come along. And, and then, holy shit, the velocity comes along, which was an even more of a game changer than the stiletto. And statistics did not favor those that weren't smart. Yeah. It was just that simple. Well, let's let's back up a little bit. And, and uh, each one of you, obviously, you, you got going pretty good in skydiving. I'm assuming everybody started working in skydiving to just pay for the habit, so to speak. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah, man, the cl- classic story, you know, packing, packing since 14, <laughs> you know, at, at the age of 12, 13, 14 years old, packing, 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 making money to be able to pay for the jumps. Sure. And then uh, as soon as I had 200 jumps, then buy a camera, well, buy a camera, put it on the helmet <laughs> and go film tandems, you know, Tandem. 15 years old guy filming tandems. Why not? Jesus Christ. It's, I can only imagine as a, if I was a customer walking up. And a 15-year-old Pablo Hernandez yeah. walks up and sticks a camera in my face. I'd be like, where the fuck is the, <laughs> the the adult that's supposed to go along with this kid to do this jump? 15? Holy shit. Because yeah, I was... look at pictures of myself when I was 27 and I look like a fucking moron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it gets worse when you when you are 18 years old. Like first day when I made my 18 years old birthday and then went to get my rating, you know, for Tandem and AFF. Like first day. As soon as I got 18 years old. Tandem rating, AFF rating, to try to make more money doing it, right? Jesus Christ. Yeah, seriously. I mean, <laughs> and, and I can only speak as, as a, thinking as an outsider. My first thought would be grow hair on your balls before I'm yeah. going to attach myself to you. That, that would be the first thing I'd be thinking. Um, everybody's the same? Everybody was video pack and all that stuff? No, no my, my, my story was a little bit different. I was chasing the money. I, I worked in London, worked in banks. And, oh. oh, yeah. The whole, the whole nine yards. And uh it was kind of like after university went into to chasing the money and the salary and then the reason why i was chasing the money and the salary was was to be able to jump you know and they got to the point i was telling pablo this the other day actually but we where i you know got promoted and i went into this this office that i'd been given in a beautiful summer's day one of the rare summer's day you have in england you know where it's hot outside and i and I, it was a new job and i walked in and it was Similar to this room, actually, maybe a little bit bigger, uh, <laughs> and maybe without the toilet. But right. yeah, but um, yeah, it was a it was an office without any windows, and I and I sat down. I remember getting there early, first day, first impressions. Dropped my stuff, and I walked back out to the car park, and I phoned my dad. Actually, and went, Dad, I, I can't do this. This is not me. Oh. And then a month later, I was with Pablo in in Leo. So, See, that's yeah. that's epic though. <laughs> that's the kind of story you want to hear because it's funny. What's the uh, um. The uh, the Pink Floyd lyric uh, about the uh, Brits uh, living in silent, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, brick in a wall. Yeah, yeah, silent despair or something along those yeah. lines. And uh, every Brit that I've ever met or worked with had a, a similar aim in their life and decided fuck this and pulled away from it. So it's a very non-British thing yeah, to do, you. which is fucking amazing. Cut away, bro. Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> what have you got in the suitcase? My life. Yeah, that's right. Me, yeah, right. Sure. How cool, though. I mean, um, especially being able to have that kind of a seminal moment. I I just was a fuck off my entire life. So I, <laughs> I'm like a lot of skydivers. I, no pun intended, fell into it and went, oh, wait, I don't have to grow up. 
I can yeah. actually make a few bucks and keep doing this. And by make a few bucks, I mean I get to eat and they won't <laughs> throw me out of my apartment, you know, so which was good. Well, now you guys, the same thing, though. So it was, you know, dad jumping and then you guys started working right away. Yeah, not really. No? Actually, no, no, no. We we didn't mean really professional skydivers since we were young. I mean. More or less like Pablo, like as soon as I turned 18, uh, I got my FF rating, 19, uh, the tandem uh, rating. And uh, I have to say, our father never pushed on down that way. So I studied, Mario started to have a uh, work when he was young. So looking like normal person and uh, in the weekend and try raise money to support the, the skydiving. <laughs> but then I went more or less like... Uh, Brian's story. So after uh, graduated, uh, do a job without, uh, not connected to what I've studied. And I was in a room and uh, seriously, at one point, uh, I get... They are architects, man. Those yeah. two guys, yeah. they are architects. Yeah? Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but not, awesome. not only architects. Architects for very special buildings. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> really? Both yeah. of them. I love hearing stories like this because it's, it's uh, I don't know about how you guys feel, but it's very reaffirming to somebody like me when I find out that people that were on the path that is supposed to be what you're supposed to do in this modern fucked up world, that's the line you're supposed to follow. I love finding out when someone had that and went, no, fuck this, and then, took a left turn. Or yeah. even better, they managed to do both at the same time. Yeah. Like Mario, yeah. Mario yeah. keeps doing it. That's He's, awesome. Yeah, from Monday to Friday, I would, I have a normal job, and then the weekend uh, we, we did. You must be having. an astounding canopy pilot then. Yes. Look at him! Look at him! <laughs> <laughs> he He's won't say, it, but we will. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have to be because uh, um, it's a discipline that requires. A fuckload of training. I mean, this is not yeah. something you just hop into. I mean, I've been, I got 11,000 jumps in 24 years in the sport, and there's nobody that's going to come out to watch me swoop. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not going to, and, and it never will be, and I'm fine with that. Nobody's going to watch a strip, neither. Strip yeah. this. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true. <laughs> yeah, but I'm retired now. Nobody's going to watch me anymore. That's, you guys were architects. You had a real job. You were raised in it. I was a Vegas stripper. <laughs> That's the best story. Right? I, 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 I took my pants off to be able to afford to have you guys in this bathroom. <laughs> so ar architects, wow. Yeah. So your your family must be thrilled because you're doing everything. Dad must be thrilled. Mom must be thrilled. You're holding down the normal job and yeah. all of this, but you're still doing everything dad loves as well. Yeah, correct. So literally, we at one point we turned. Nah, we we need to follow the our dream like like brian said before closing a box without windows just the computer in front of you timing 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 8 8 a.m in the morning uh, 5 p.m in, uh, in the afternoon five days per week no man it just doesn't make any sense does it no no no. it really doesn't i mean you're it's not even working for the weekend anymore you're just you're literally working for a retirement that may or may not come correct no, no, man. At one point, I stopped myself. I say, I really want to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. So if I, I really ask to myself, okay, in five years, 10 years, 15, do you really want to be seated inside the same room, sure. inside the, in front of the same computer for the, this time? No, man. Well, and you know, the, one of the coolest things about skydiving, uh, and especially because we've got basically two uh, a newer generation of PD Swoop uh, and an established generation of PD Swoop sitting in the same room, and I've been in the sport for quite a while as well, this sport really doesn't have a shelf life. Um, Lou Sanborn, licensed D1, 
still fucking jumps. He's like the Rolling Stones. He just doesn't quit. He's the dude I saw with 45,000 jumps. There's an American dude that's just hit 45,000. You know, I'm not sure. Ron Kellner? It could be Don, John Don Kellner. Ron, yeah, something Don like Kellner. Don, I think. Don, Don. Kellner. I mean, it's astounding. It's incredible. Absolutely astounding. You've got, and this is the only sport that I know of anyway, where you've got the realistic option to not only meet your heroes, but go participate in the same sport they became that hero in. How fucking cool yeah. is that? It really is amazing. And so it goes to show that uh, um, age really is not a limitation in skydiving. As long as you take care of yourself and as long as you don't make any bad decisions or have those you know the the unfortunate accidents skydiving is something you can do forever you know so if you can either manage to make a living in it or have it as your passion to keep you from going nuts while you're spending a little time in that box how amazing is that that's fantastic i mean so all right so let's get into how you guys ended up um let's start with the old dogs first pd you know um you had to get good before you got to pd um I don't know about anybody else, but PD's pretty much the only canopies I know other than um, tandem canopies. I've jumped Icarus tandem canopies. They're fantastic, but I don't have any experience with anything other than PD nylon, and I fucking love it. Um, so how did you guys end up aiming that direction? How did you end up on that team? Why? You know, I mean, how did it come about? Good, man. <clears throat> so Brian and I, we are... We are the second generation, yeah, second, second generation of the PD factory team, uh, the original gangsters. <laughs> they started in uh, 2002, 2003, I believe yeah. so. I yep. mean, they had a few couple of team cha- team member changes as well, but yeah. sure. Yes, and then Brian and I we joined it in uh, in 2009. Okay. And Brian is the reason why I am I have been souping, you know, for for my entire youth. Uh, I was in, in Ligio, at Skydive Ligio, drop zone in Spain. I was uh, 17 years old. And then this guy, a British guy, was coming to the drop zone to, to do a course, a canopy course. And I thought, ah, I'm going to attend the course just to show him how cool I am, you know? <laughs> I want to show this guy how good I am, man. I didn't want to learn shit. You right. know, I was an arrogant and full of ego. And this guy came to the drop zone, you know, British guy called Brian. He started teaching the course. And then... I didn't have any clue, you know. I was just hooking it low, toggles to the knees, legs up, <laughs> shoo, surviving on every single jump. And then as soon as I landed, first thing I did, first thing I did every jump was run back to him. And then, how good was that? That was amazing, right? Did you like it? And then Brian with his hands on his head, oh my God, this kid. 270 left. This kid is going to die, you know. Oh, and, then, and then he's the first person that I saw souping the whole pond in Spain. We had the pond there and nobody was souping that thing. You know, nobody was souping it. So he came, he souped the whole thing from south to north. And then uh, and then I wanted to do that. Sure. I wanted to do that. You know, I was jumping on a small drop zone in the middle of nowhere, in the center of Spain, away from any city. And I and I didn't have I didn't have that touch with the with the with the pros, you know? And Brian back then, two thousand five, he was he was already a pro. Oh. And I wanted to learn from him, you know. And I remember this was summer of 2004, summer 2004. And then Brian was sharing all the stories with us on the bonfire. We would go with him for dinner. And one of his stories was, yeah, in February, so six months ahead, in February, I'm going to go and attend the World Cup of canopy piloting. And I told him, I'm doing it too. 
<laughs> I'm doing the first it. One. That was the first one as well. Yeah, I'm doing it too, Brian. I'm, go I'm going with oh, you, no, man. I'm going one. with you. I want to do it too. And then Brian, Brian was like, but you have a Sabre 1, 107, full of holes. <laughs> that thing, that thing doesn't fly, man. You are not ready. I'm going with you, man. What do I need? Do I need a cross brace? Yes. And then I bought a, a Nicarus VX 89, super old, destroyed. Cheap, man. 600 mm. euros, you know? <laughs> Boom, got it. I got it. And this is September. This is October, you know? And then started training with it. Dangerous shit. Really dangerous shit. But I survived that training. And then I went in February with him. You kicked butt, dude. I went with him butt. to the World Cup and I didn't know the rules, you know? I, I knew the rules for distance <laughs> and speed. Distance and speed because that was easy, right? Distance go far, speed go fast. But then accuracy... Man, accuracy, there is a lot of different gates, markers, different zones. There is a box, positive points, negative points. I never trained that before. Mm. So I got there to Lake Wales and and he had the time to mentor me and help me and give me some directions and explain the rules to me a little bit. And it went well, man. I attended the intermediate category, intermediate World Cup, which nowadays it doesn't exist anymore because, mm. yeah, it's it's Perfect. like a, it's a plan B competition, right? But for me back in the day, it was so good and it was such a good opportunity because I won it in 2005, February 2005, I won it and then and then I got sponsorship, you know, like I used it I used it as a leverage to my drop zone to Skydive Ligio to get free jumps. Oh, that's see, that's fucking awesome for on a number of levels. A that you survived it all. <laughs> <laughs> B that you were able to soak up the lessons and and succeed in it and, and continue to go. And C and most importantly, that for me in my mind, Pablo Hernandez was that fucking guy. I love it. You were that guy. You're the guy that everybody's going, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. No, no. no. The, the and same. to turn it all around and become Pablo Hernandez, that guy. Wow. Wow. From toggle whipper to, to world champ. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. He's underselling it. At the same time, they were also saying, wow, that's natural talent right there. So he, he's totally selling it. And it's blind leading the blind as well at that time. You know, it was new. It was the first World Cup was 2003. That was the second one, and and yeah, we were learning for sure. So that was your first competition as well. Mine was the 2003 World Cup in Paris. That was my first ever like kind of international competition, and you had to run um, in order. It was actually more scary qualifying for the competition rather than running the competition because you had six six jumps, and you had to do to run three three clean runs through a. I mean, in those days, it was like a 180 foot course, 10 foot markers. I mean, nowadays it's easy. But in those days, like we were like, we have to do this three times and, and, and you had six attempts and some people didn't do it in six, you know, didn't get the three in the six jumps and they couldn't even compete. Mm -hmm. So, so, so people risk traveling to the U S and, and trying to compete in this competition and not even passing qualifiers, you know? So. Wow. So, um, if you were competing back in those days, did you do some of the, um, the PST tour? No. no? I, well, I mean, yes, in, in a kind of a remote way, but I certainly wasn't, wasn't any of the, uh, of the. Pioneers and that sort of thing. I, I came late to the party in terms of the PD factory team as we know it, or the early generation of the of the old old guys, not just the old guys, um, were kind of establishing themselves at that time, and and that's where I was, you know, looking and 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 reading a lot and and then kind of just talking bullshit to Pablo, hoping he wouldn't die. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a good hope. Well, it's kind of funny because uh, in 2004 was my first season in Cross Keys, which is when the the uh, um, PST tour was still going pretty good. And they had it in uh, Wildwood on the beach uh, in New Jersey. And so the, everybody would come to Skydive Cross Keys to train prior to the competition on the beach. And so I got to watch the OGs 
swooping the cross keys pond and just doing shit that wasn't you know i mean heath richardson holy oh, shit you know i mean i'm i'm watching and this i worked with heath every day yeah. you know and you're watching him do shit that's just not fucking that's not possible and wait now there's two of them at the same time doing no they can't do that somebody's gonna die and they just keep doing it amazing and flawless and that was kind of the start of the the not only for me anyway the the awe of uh, uh, amazing canopy piloting but also what kept me at a distance from it because I took one look at that and went no um I'll be a stain if I try some of the shit they're doing so it was great in a number of ways I got to be a, a fan and it got to keep me from doing anything particularly stupid and I see before before we continue I see we've all got empty glasses yeah. which is not allowed so we're gonna pause for just a moment to refill our beverages can we do that You're damn right we can <laughs> really? yeah. this, is the this is the fucking pilots podcast you you damn right we can all right pause stay all right, as we're getting back in uh, uh, here, before we get too subtle, everybody glasses up. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Hey. All right. Yeah. Here we go. Salute. Here we go. Salute. All right. Man. All over the place. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Alright. All, right. Right. All right. Yes. Look at there, is... guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Picture time. Awesome. All right. So, um, the Italians. I'm just going to keep calling you the Italians. It's easier. Um, yeah, easy. So, how... Did you? How did you decide that uh, the canopy thing was was something you wanted to do? I mean, obviously you were in the sport for a while, but uh, swooping is a whole different beast. So how how did you work your way towards that? Well, we we got the in the sport in the right at the the right time when the velocity get start to get out. So okay. when the really the the canopy was uh, get projected from zero. They start to make the first prototype, I like change the shape of the canopy, make the line set longer. So we were in the good time to got, to catch the waves. Right. But as a the our drop zone was uh, like South Italy, so no more, no many Americans, uh, English mother tongue come here. So we we were just study first VHS, like the. Yeah. The whole format uh, video, then yeah, yeah. DVD, then uh, the first time uh, when the, uh, some uh, American, some uh, let's go Sky God come, <laughs> was coming in Italy from some uh, boogie. Yeah, Mario, we need to go there. This guy knows things, but of course, as we were kids, the, our English wasn't that good, mm. so we need uh, every time a translator. Or as Italians, we are good on body language. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do you remember in '96? Uh, Coming in uh, South Italy, in uh, our home drop zone, the staff on D-Land, Skydive D-Land, yeah. there, and uh, make uh, Rick Sir Powell with, uh, I remember because I was uh, 10 years old. He speaks English now, man. Yeah. yeah. Rome. Rome. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Rome. Good. Roman cola. Yeah. yeah. Rum and really, coke. Really That's good. it. That's and it. I remember uh, when I was 10 years old. And uh, I see the these these guys. I don't know Rick Sir Powell yeah. with the uh, Stilo ninety seven. He get a three sixty faster, and we landing. Uh, wow! <laughs> and I remember because uh, I I I playing with the football or bicycle, and uh, when he landing, I stop it and I go. Uh, go out mm. for see this uh, this faster landing. Sure, and for me is a uh, wow. 
Richter Powell, man, he's the, the father yeah, of souping. Like all yeah. of us, we have been inspired by him, you know, all of us. Who ha all of us, we have seen the yeah. crosswind video the and the anti-gravity video. Sure. The him velocity. souping into the hangar, him souping the velo uh, between the bushes, you know, like he has been the, the inspiration to all of us. So, um, especially for everybody in here that's got family that skydives, what do they think of um, the canopy piloting discipline? Because uh, it, it's a little bit different uh, for, for non-skydivers, they lump it all into one category. You jump out of an airplane, you open a parachute, you land. Um, but skydivers understand what canopy piloting is. Skydivers understand what swooping is. So how does mom and dad and how does dad feel about what is clearly the razor's edge in the sport? Um, for me, yeah, my father, he started, he tried. He was always recommending me, Pablo, why you don't free fly? Free fly is your thing, man. <laughs> Just free fly. Free fly is awesome. You can be one of those guys. Just go free fly. Stay on that Sabre 2150. Papa, I want <laughs> to <meat>. soup, man. <laughs> I want to soup. Warm and meat. then uh, it, it hasn't been a clean path, you know. There has been injuries. Like I broke both legs, one in 2009, the other one in 2011. There was injuries through mm. the journey, but... Uh, it's all worth it, man. Sure. Well, with, I, I mean, canopy piloting is, is I, I uh, always liken it to riding a motorcycle. It's not if you crash, it's when and how bad. Um, and, I mean, even if it's just a few scrapes and scuffs or just a scare, anybody that's spent any time on a high-performance canopy has puckered themselves up. <laughs> when you learn a new sport, you do, you do mistakes. Sure. You're going to do mistakes. Sure. If you ski, you fall. If you want to learn how to soup, you're going to hit. Sure. Yeah. There's yeah. a hit. There's going to be a hit. Brian, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, my parents like kind of they 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 didn't really have a major problem with it. They came to competitions and stuff, um, and I think they also nowadays with the development of Flight One, uh, that's the business side of of our team, and and um, in terms of what what we've learned as uh, in terms of, of the sports side, and then taking it back into a business to be able to teach uh, canopy skills in a different level, I think. Um, I think it goes back to this. There is that definite side of canopy piloting where everyone sees, you know, ah, everything's aggressive, everything's close to the ground, everything looks like it could be dangerous. But then uh, the other side that canopy piloting has opened up for us over the years is an incredible knowledge about um, how to work together in the sky, how to transfer those skills into moving from one position to another, how to be accurate, how to to uh, to increase our skill level beyond anything and and so much so that obviously with flight one we then pull it back into the military environment as well so there's there's i think there's both sides well and flight one is has uh done so much to uh, further safety under canopy i mean uh, um it it, it should I, I hate to say require it shouldn't be a requirement it should be a recommendation uh, for everyone to go at least through some type of canopy course. Uh, of course, back in the day, I didn't have a canopy course. You just, you, it was trial by fire, um, as was any, everything else in skydiving at the time. But we're finally at a point where um, we have the ability and the knowledge to really pass it on to people well before they can get themselves, you know, in that corner, which is really nice. Yeah, for sure. And and, and we're not trying to sit here and, and plug flight one. We're trying to explain that it's it's a discipline that's been neglected you know over the years and uh and what's happened is that i guess and pablo and i grew up in that as well we we were those guys that were trying trying different things and 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 nowadays we've learned so much and a different approach i remember pablo talking about fly planning early on in this in the team when we were doing team flying the stuff that that we did back in dubai and stuff 
we when we go team flying and the first time Pablo led, you know, we were talking to him about his flight plan and asking him about what his flight plan. I remember Pablo going, flight plan? What, what is a flight plan? You know, and, and so <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, he's such a natural pilot. He used to just lead us. You know, we, we go, okay, Pablo, we're going to land there. And he would just like lead us there. And oh, we just keep turning until we land there, you know. Uh, and 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 that that even, I, I hate to say it, but even the the old man here, he, he's learned how to do it. He's, it's incredible. And so um, we don't need to do that. We don't need to nowadays in the sport um, be that person that has to go through a process on their own and look, look learning and learning by trying and doing. We, there is... There is structure. There's there's information. There's a way to, to become a better pilot without the danger. And not you know not totally, but so. well, without a doubt. And well, in, in uh, again, I came up in a generation that, that lacked most of that. Um, and I had the the double shot of being a, a tunnel rat back when there were only three tunnels. I used to work in the Las Vegas tunnel, yeah. and there was Fort Bragg, there was Las Vegas, and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So when I started jumping, I already knew how to fly in free fall, uh, but I knew jack shit about flying under canopy. And I was shooting video and uh, flying a PD-190, an F-111 PD-190, shooting tandem videos, terrified of my parachute, having to spiral from opening to landing just to beat the tandem to the ground to get the video, um, but terrified to downsize because there was nobody to teach, nobody to mentor. You know, I mean, you're, you're thrown into it just trying to get the bills paid, and, and uh, it's a horrible way to learn, you know. Yeah. It really, really is. And I was uh, – it's the the, the – the the safety side of it for me was definitely keeping it slower on the canopy side and really transitioning very slow on smaller parachutes and it's one of the many reasons I got nicknamed Princess fucking 24 years ago <laughs> I took my time going to smaller parachutes and it did me a lot of service but nowadays um, that super slow progression isn't necessary because they can learn properly and transition when they should yeah, for sure. so you guys yeah more or less a- just to confirm the point of Brian, like, I literally think we just survived. I mean, we, as I told you before, we couldn't have that clear information. We were always missing pieces. Yes, the video show you the cool part, the cool stuff, but doesn't give you the the real altitude, the turns, how to make it. So we literally survived until the first canopy, uh, canopy curse that we did. And it's incredible. The gap that I, I could see right now, so looking back in the day, that there was the desert or just few peoples around the world know and try to transmit the information. Mm. And how is easy now to be in contact with Brian, with uh, another canopy pilot or uh, a, a very knowledge or skillful instructor that sure. can guide you for the downside. Something like that. I remember I passed from... Stiletto to the velocity, like more or less, as you said, like I need to go faster because the tandem is landing too close to me. So I don't have time to chill on the ground before finish the video or sure. something like this. But it was incredible. Like I, I flew the, the canopies without snow it, mm. which matter about luck, matter about skillful. But again, now that's you have those people that try, that study, they make it the plan for you. And you have just to heads up, listen, and stick on the plan. Well, and that's one of the amazing things about Flight One or any proper canopy course taught by a knowledgeable canopy pilot. I think it's absolutely fucking invaluable. Um, I really, and again, I, I hate to use the word require. Um, 
should be recommended to, and I think it is almost universally recommended now to everybody as they're coming up in skydiving. Hey, take a canopy course um, as a beginner. Hey, take a canopy course as an intermediate. Hey, take a canopy course as an advanced skydiver. Um, I still, I've got 11,000 jumps. I, I could use a canopy course. Absolutely. We all could. It will not hurt. No, <laughs> fuck no, no. At the end of the day, it's either going to reaffirm that I'm doing things right or it's going to show me where I'm making mistakes that might one day bite me in the ass. And you started early as well. Huh? And, and that, that's something else you probably noticed, like the definition of high performance. We, with, with the, with the, um, the uh, sort of military clients that we jump with, they're, they're jumping massive canopies. So they think a, one, a 190 or 210 is an incredibly fast machine. You know, I remember I remember my, my logbook. I've still got my logbook from number jump number. I think it was 21. I'm pretty sure it was 21. And I went to this drop zone, and the only canopy they had available was a 210. And all I had written in my logbook, you know, in those days, you used to write stuff. Right? <laughs> Not like on your on your mobile. Oh, whoa! <laughs> Spillage. First man down, but yeah. not on the board. <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah, all I'd written in that in that in my logbook for that jump was "fuck me, this canopy is fast." <laughs> like on the line, you know? because to, to me in those days, like a two ten was fast. Sure. And, and it was a high performance canopy. And if you talk to some of the guys that we work with who jump. 360s all day long and they've never been on a 240 or a 260 or a 210 they think these things fly in and, and if you put a saber 2 you know you put somebody underneath a saber 2 saber 2 190 210 they're coming in 30 30 plus miles an hour you know um uh, airspeed so they they're like screaming in and they have no no reference so these guys really for us put it into perspective that when we go back into the civilian world the sport world and these guys are jumping these tiny canopies especially with the fly sight data that we're getting um, it's incredible to see the actual, the true airspeeds that we're, that, we're, that we're moving. Oh, I mean, it's insane. I mean, if you had told me when I started jumping that I would eventually comfortably jump a sub 100 square foot canopy, I would have laughed in your face. Uh, and th there's still days when I, as a matter of fact, I went out and did uh, uh, jumps with a bunch of the pilots that I work with just the other day. And uh, you land the direction the arrow's pointing at the drop zone I jump at, and it turned out to be a downwinder. And on a 96 square foot velocity, a downwinder's a pretty fucking, it, it's a, it's a, an adrenaline filled experience. And it's been a long time since I've been downwind at that speed. And halfway through it, I'm thinking, fuck me. I'm, I don't know. I'm a little old for this. Well, you, you as a pilot knows, right? It's, you as a pilot knows it's just airspeed, right? Yeah. It's the same speed. You're coming in the same speed. It just looks different. It's oh, yeah. the matrix, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and, but unfortunately, I as a pilot also know that eventually, no you matter how far <laughs> fast forward I'm moving, that, that wing's going to stop flying. And then I'm just on the ground still. Yeah. All you need is your roller skates, right? You can put your roller right? skates on, you're good. <laughs> Thank God for vans and grass. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So you're all on the PD factory team. Um, you've all taken uh, different paths, but uh, ended up in the same place. But you've got uh, um, second generation and now third generation PD, fourth, fa fourth generation yeah. PD factory team. Fuck me. Holy shit. Yeah. Has this been going on that long? Man, that's the, old. That's the beauty of the PD factory team. The beauty of the PD factory team is that it's about the team, you know? It's yeah. about keeping it alive through the decades, through the generations. And it's all about the brand and it's all about the name and we have to keep it alive. You know, it's our... I'm I'm a, I try, I'm a PD pimp. I fucking... I'm all about PD. 
I absolutely love the canopy. He says that to everybody. The right. <laughs> it's like Icarus guy say, "Oh man, I'm all Icarus." Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, and I, I don't have a lot of reference on other canopies, but uh, honestly, from literally every canopy that I've flown uh, on a regular basis has been a PD. So fuck me, man. I am all about that brand. Yeah, for us, for us, it's about keeping it alive. You know, like how many teams in the in the skydiving community they have been fighting and they have been charging hard for almost two decades mm. how many of them are still alive no two not decades, very many no? i mean i can yeah, think of only many. a couple like airzone airspeed yeah. teams like that that's not it. many babylon you know babylon i always think about babylon airspeed yeah p factory team yeah and if there is any team oh, out right. there that has a 18 has been 18 years old out there like us yeah well please it's, raise it, your hand you it's know? it's not just still being around it's still being around and being highly respected i hope so no. i hope so <laughs> <laughs> no. you know for us for us it's, it's about Always passing the tools to the next generation, train them, give them what they need to keep to keep charging hard. Sure. You know, so now Mario and Armando they are here. They are learning all those new skills from us. You know, on how to fly together as a team, doing team flying. But then in a few years from now on, Brian and I we're gonna be doing something else. I don't know. I don't <laughs> something else. And well, then Mario and Armando they are gonna be the ones leading the team, and that's the future. Sure, they will, they sure. will lead the team, and they will make the decisions. You know, well, you know it's um, it's. Having seen all the all the different uh, um, aspects and all the different members of PD, uh, PD team has always been um, portrayed and has this perfect image of, of uh, professionalism, which is a very big thing, you know. Um, even back in the day when it was Ian Bobo and, and uh, you know OG stuff, He's it was uniforms, you know. People and this is back in the dirtbag skydiving yeah. days when the dirtier your rig, the nastier your jumpsuit, the better skydiver you must be. And here comes PD Factory team is just sparkling jerseys and perfect rigs and very professional. So um what I want to know is how weird do you guys get behind the scenes because i only see the in front of the scenes are you just a bunch of fucking crazy skydivers no, that we're boring do you, do you sober <laughs> do you sober up for the pictures or are you just fucking pros all the time tell me you tell me you, you have to wake up ragged sometimes <laughs> come on not for, for sure man you know we are humans you know and, and uh, it's we are just very passionate about what we do you know sure, we are sure. super passionate about the flying the training the competition the jumping and 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 time goes by right so for for me for example right now competition is not what really inspires me anymore i'm not inspired about the the medals sure i have them already right sure. they are there enough so i'm inspired about about passing on to the next generation that's sure. what that's what really inspires me actually that brings it up for the older guys uh, um let's hear them uh accolades what have what what are the medals hanging on the walls for who for both you guys for me uh, 26 fai medals three 26. times european champion 26 fuck you yeah 26 26 Two, 26 fai medals so fai medals means world cups world championships world games world other games European championships. It's awesome. Oh, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, 26. Two world, re two, two world records, four, four European records, three times European champion. Well, slow down. What are the world records? Uh, one in distance, one in speed. All right. You know, one in distance, one in speed. You say like speed. it's nothing. One, yeah. one in distance, one in speed. So at some point in my life, I was the guy who flew the furthest and yeah. the fastest. I'm not anymore because nowadays there is of course. people that go faster and further, you of know. Course. So, but uh, it's there, you it's know, it's there. Ass. It's there. So it's a good, uh, it's a good story, you know. It's a good history. It's there for me. It's the past. You just, um, uh, you took a medal recently, didn't you? Man, this is a great story, man. <laughs> yes. So all my life, dreaming 
with the world championship title yeah, yeah. all my life, yeah, yeah. you know? I'm the king of second place. King. <laughs> <laughs> like all those 26 FAI medals, they, yeah. they sound like, wow, this guy is a champion, you know? But man, 26 silver and bronze. Well, yeah, no, but still. You know, fighting for it all my life. Fighting, yeah. fighting, fighting for it. Never got it, never got it. I got a gold in speed. I got a gold on intermediate World Cup, which doesn't, doesn't count. Always fighting for it. Oh shit, it doesn't count. Yeah, no. It, so it, all those it intermediate guys out there, it counts. It doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> So always fighting for it, never got it. And then, uh, and then the day, and, and then I decided to quit, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm done, finish. Mm. This doesn't inspire me anymore. And then, uh, but there was this soup freestyle tour going on, you know, there is, mm. there is this soup freestyle tour going on and I wanted to be part of it because that really, that inspires me. Mm. It inspires me again because you can do souping in front of the crowd. You can do it in front of the public, in front of the, of the cities. And it's, and it's fun, you know, mm. it's really fun. So. So it was an FAI World Championships. Yeah. FAI World Championships. And you ended up standing on the top. And I won it. I won it. You know, the year I decided to quit, I did 10 training jumps for it, 10, and then I won it. You know? I know. Well, the, the reason that I brought that particular medal up and the reason that I think it's funny is because it was a few months before that you had, uh, in passing, told me, yeah, I'm done with the competition stuff. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then the next thing I know, I'm pulling up fucking Facebook and you're standing on the top of the podium and I'm like, look at this motherfucker. What the, <laughs> he just told me he quit. Yeah. And, 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 and please, there is a lot of luck involved, you know? There is a lot, lot of luck involved and it's not, the whole thing is not skilled. I, I was lucky, lucky and happy, lucky and happy, man. I highly appreciate the fact that you use that word because I know yeah. that there's people in skydiving that think the word luck is an insult. But anybody that denies that there's a bit of luck involved in our sport is a fool, and it's eventually going to bite them in the ass. I've got everyone in this, everyone in this room, and everybody that's put a parachute on their back for any length of time has gotten lucky in one way or another. So I'm glad that you said that. I really am. Now, Not Brian. Good. So um, yeah, my story is not so glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I'm, I'm like. I, let's look at the uh, let, look look at the small country called England. You know, there's <laughs> millions of skydivers there, so it's very very tough competition. No, I'm like seven times national champion. That's about as good as it gets. And uh, on the world stage, my best uh, my best overall finish was like sixth. Um, so, uh, and I've always I've been competing every every year or so every competition till like from 2003 to 2015 wow. in a world level. And and I love I love it, but you know, um, some people are natural, some people aren't so natural. And, and I've been in positions where I've been like I've been in second place with one round to go, and I've thrown it. So competition is a real mental thing, you know. And I've always recognised from myself that one of my faults is that um, I get into this position of power in terms of the meet, and then I make a mistake. Mm. And in in competition, swimming competition, if you zero, then it's you're you're down. Yeah, you're done. Um, so. And also, my interest really, competition was never, for me, like the love, the reason why I did it. The, 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 there are many other reasons. It was competition almost was, for me, with the team, an obligation to do to do competition. And what I loved about it was developing how we could pass the knowledge on. So I focused my attention from a very early stage, like 03, you know, was writing pro our programs. Um, and developing our programs, and which are now multilingual as well, um, across about eight or nine languages now. Wow. Um, so my my real passion in was kind of like developing the the flight one side of things, the way we taught, 
and I took I took I I can't say that yeah I sat there in a room and, and thought of these things myself. I took um, information from everywhere that I could, and and out there, if you want to know about um, canopy flying and people's opinion about canopy flying, there's a lot of information there. Like way back when, you know, like the guys into land, the um, uh, the rusty rusty is it? I can't remember the guy with the red red hair. You know, the dude that was like, there was Sky U books being written. There were uh, there's videos, VHS videos and stuff. There's people's opinion about how patterns should be flown. And what I kind of enjoyed doing over my my career was getting all this information together and then thinking about an alternative way. And one of the, uh, the, way, the alternative way that we teach, one of the ways that one of the things we love as a company and with the factory team doing what we do is team flying and allows us to see there are different ways to do things. And one of the things I that I think the sport is restricted by is that we, we do it because we did it 20 years ago. Mm. And it comes from aircraft as well, because obviously aircraft came before parachuting. So the rules of the air came from aircraft. And in fact, that's a powered flight. And as you know, and, and like glide it, we're gliders. So actually the rules of the air don't necessarily work for us as parachuters. And so we enjoy challenging the way that people teach, um, the way that the first jump course is taught, taught, sorry, and, and the way that, um, you know, things like flight planning is taught. And so, I came on the team and it, and I was competing and training hard and, and trying to do, you know, get on the podium in the, on a world stage. But at the same time, my passion, real passion was developing how we would pass the information on. Which is, yeah, go ahead. It's funny how, you know, now we have the new generation here, Mario and Armando. And then when we do, for example, we, we just, we recently did a, a team flying camp in Dubai. Team flying camp basically means when we get together and we fly our parachutes together. And we fly with different moves, formations. We try to be dynamic. And then I organized that camp and I thought, okay, we need somebody to coach, teach, mentor these guys, you know? And I'm the guy with all those medals. But at the end of the day, I always choose Brian hmm. as the coach, teacher, mentor. Like he's the one who is, who is able to transfer the information to them. A good competitor doesn't necessarily have to be a, a good coach and vice versa, you know? So, uh, well, it doesn't always have to be, everything doesn't have to be wrapped up in one package. And, and certainly that's why a team is exactly that. It's a team, you know, I mean, everybody's got different strengths and different weaknesses and, and a team works to try and help accentuate the good stuff and overcome the bad stuff for sure. Um, and I definitely think that pushing towards education, uh, and pushing to change things is hugely positive. Uh, a number of the, the older skydivers that I've talked to that have come up through the years ha have talked about how difficult change has been in skydiving because we get so set on our ways. Skydiving is all alpha. We are all alpha and nobody wants to be wrong and nobody wants to be told that their way isn't the right way to do things. So change comes painfully. And then you toss in aviation. Oh, fuck me. Come on, because is there a more egotistical, I'm always right bunch of people than pilots? Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you, you toss those together and, and those are huge hurdles to overcome. So um, I can I can imagine that uh, trying to come up with new ways to teach and new ways to think about it are very difficult for sure. Um, all right. So how about you guys? You know, I mean, uh, competitions, how did you guys get started in this? Yeah, well, uh, we start to compete um Let's say to take the sides. I mean, as a sportive, uh, we grew up in a sporting family. Or more or less, everybody in our family do sports, not competing, but 
we we always use the nationals to to see at the end of a season of the year at at what point we are. Mm. So long short story. So until 2014, we were doing like randomly, and then in 2014, uh, we sit on the table and we say, okay, you have a velocity, I have a velocity. What we we will do? Okay, we 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 drop down a plan, a goal in three years to re- to pass from the some random places somewhere ranking wise to the first top 10. Mm. Okay, we we did the first competition and so from that point we did, we mean in Florida for the world meet and uh, we end up like was crazy because he ended up Mario 20th and I was 21st mm. but in front of us there was 19 Peregrine and Petra and behind us was 20 Peregrines and Petra. Wow. So we were the the first normal <laughs> Cross race <laughs> with Willowcomp right. 79, we, Willow 79 <laughs> right. which get already... loading 2.6. Yeah, we were young, we were light, sure. <laughs> like na- nothing competing. And then uh, from that point, we we just to climb the the cliff. Like we we got a point. Like um, some like some people that wanna lose weight, so they wanna do training in the gym. So we we put uh, on the mirror the goal: Hey, you must be here. You must be here. Wow. So, and we're training hard for that. But still, the competition wasn't just competing and prove at the hour point. It was still growing in, um, the skills. Sure. Like competing, as Brian said, is a, is a very mental competition. Very so much you, so. you really have to talk to yourself sure. and, and make you in the mood. Sure. But there is the other phase of the medal that is flying with your teammates, with your friends. And man, it, it's still the... the the same drills, like you, you feel your heart pumping sure. when, you, yeah. when your friends is looking at you, and it's far like this between me and you, and I can see in your eyes, and you blink at me like, man, oh yeah, this is like win, uh, win the world. Oh, there's, and I, I can't imagine that there's anything quite like it. I mean, it's it's got to just be a holy shit moment. I I, I see it. I think it might be time for another refill. Because <laughs> Hernandez is wearing Hernandez is wearing half of my drink, and he's <laughs> for the hits and for the cheeks, baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> I I I love that uh, um, you guys all seem to uh, enjoy the the same aspects of things, whether it be uh, the flying together and, and learning how to do the group stuff, uh, the instruction, and the kind of going balls wild here. I've personally watched your video of you doing the barrel roll over the top of another fucking parachute and i still think that's the craziest goddamn thing i've ever seen i don't know where in the world that ever sat in your mind and went yeah this is a good idea <laughs> you know what I, I, there is more to come, <laughs> there is more to come. <laughs> recently we did something just as cool oh, in dubai man. recently see this is where it it's really cool to be uh, an older version of me because I am happy to live vicariously through some of the other shit that's going on. Because I'm sure just like you guys, I've got a lot of non-skydiving friends and family that live vicariously <laughs> through what they consider to be the crazy stuff that I do. But I know myself to be a very relaxed, very mellow, very middle-of-the-road skydiver. So it's kind of nice to be able to watch the slightly crazier versions. And then, of course, I've got the wingsuiting friends and this and that. Um, I did have a question I wanted to ask, and you guys have seen this because you've been in it for a while now. Um, uh, one of my first uh, podcasts had uh, Cornelia Mihai and Olga Nuova in. Um, 
And I had asked them because I wanted to get a, a woman's perspective on canopy swooping uh, as a woman as opposed to a man. Because skydiving has predominantly been a male-driven sport. Uh, canopy piloting very much so. This testosterone-driven, my balls are this big, I'm going to do this kind of stuff. And then here comes Cornelia, who is, holy shit, absolutely amazing. Um, and I was actually surprised when I asked her the question, how were you greeted by the male competitors? And she said, amazingly. So I have to ask, what's your guys' opinion of the fact that women are coming to kick our asses? Man, uh, Cornelia, she has kicked my ass so many times already. <laughs> that uh, it's great, it's, right? Yeah, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. It's insane. Like she's uh, she's at the top of the game, you mm. know. Right now, it, she's at the peak. She's at the top of the game, and then uh, I just hope she has a little bit of luck. Mm. I hope she gets the luck on her side one of these years, one of these world meets, world championships. Just a little bit of luck because everything else, she has done the hard work, man. Yeah, she yeah, works she so hard. It. She works so hard, man. Well, you know what the cool thing that I seem to, uh, that my personal opinion is, is that skydiving is as asexual a sport as it possibly gets. Um, because it doesn't matter how big and strong you are. Air does not care how much you can bench press. Um, it's all finesse. It's all that mental game. Uh, so male or female, if you've got it, you've got it. And when you've got somebody like Cornelia that's showing, holy shit, I can be, you know, I can be just as bad as the best of them. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, man. She, I'm, I'm, I can, I can see it in her eyes. You know, I'm sure she wakes up and first thing she thinks is soup. <laughs> and then uh, she goes to the drop zone and she thinks soup. <laughs> and then she goes for lunch and then she's thinking, I need to soup, you know, and then goes to bed. And then the last thought she has is soup. I need to train. So you cannot beat somebody like this. You no, know, you no. cannot beat somebody that everything she has in her mind is souping, training, competing, winning. That's you cannot beat somebody like mm, this. No, you know? yeah, she's definitely got that drive for sure. Yeah, and that's every discipline as well. Eh? That's for yeah. sure. But she's amazing. She's she's a she's incredible to to, to see. I, I knew her actually in Imperial Bravo. We, we didn't work together, but I was working in Perea and she was working in Perea. And uh, it's amazing to see, yeah, like like the progression and, and that she kicks all of our asses. Isn't that sure. great? Yeah, it's great. So you guys are very welcoming of the, the intermixing of the sport, so to speak. We need more. Yes. We need more. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I try to explain it because uh, um, it... it you bring up the subject and you feel or sound sexist for even mentioning it, but the fact of the matter is I love the integration of the uh, the sexes in the sport, and I love the fact that a lot of the women that are good friends of mine in the sport can destroy me. I, I love it. There's female jump pilots out there that are amazing pilots that can, you know, just fly circles around me or skydive circles around me, and I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I try not to even see sex. I see skill. Which is amazing, skill and, and passion for sure. Yeah, how, yeah. how about in how about in Italy? Because you guys are known for your machismo. You know, I mean, <laughs> Italians are <laughs> Italians do it better. Cazzaduro, <laughs> baby. Yeah. I, I only know a little bit. My last name is Ricci, so yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So, so I know a little bit about it. But uh, so in uh, Italia, in Italy, a lot of female skydivers, or not so much. Mm, there is a good percentage. I I have to say more or less like worldwide, uh, we have the same percentage of course canopy piloting uh, almost nothing mm. let's say it's zero but i i like i like to see 
that is not a uh, one gender uh, sport. Sure. I remember th- at the first world meet at, that I've been in back in the year it was 2008 with a uh, young Pablo. There was Brian, and there was just one woman, Katshigi, and for me, she, yeah, she Power. she she won. Yeah, she won, yeah. man, because the only lady with a small camera, man, she had a weight belt. That almost you cannot see her body from the chin to the yeah. to the knees. Kaz was a fucking badass. Power, she man. was. She, she was still the, is. She's yeah, still, yeah. She's working for us, and she still is. Uh, Flywheel instructor. Flywheel instructor. She was the first super, the mm. first super I ever saw to take the chest strap off and lean forward on the soups. Mm. First super I ever saw to do that. You know, 2005, no chest strap, leaning forward. That looked crazy, man. Mm. Why do you, Why do you think it's uh, um, the canopy piloting seems to be more male dominated? Because clearly it's not a skill thing. Is it just that uh, women are are uh, smarter than men? <laughs> <laughs> they are. Well, let's admit it. They let's, are. Let's, let's pass to the next question. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Pussies. Pussies. Bunch of pussies. <laughs> pussies. Let's right. say Let's say there is not many like Cornelia. You know, there is only one. She's a badass, yeah. She's a badass. It's hard to find yeah, more yeah, like, yeah. like her. I think I think we do we we do we do these people a disservice as well because we have this we tend to like push these people down. Mm. When I say these people, that's a really bad way to talk about females. But in our sport, when a female comes to the drop zone, we have the experienced jumpers tend to tend to take control or tend to decide this is what they should or shouldn't be doing. And um, I think it's it's restricted by us rather than by them. I think in terms of the mindset, knowing knowing my, my teammates and how we think and about how we approach all these problems, I don't want to say we're girls, right? But I, I think we, we think about it logically and I think that, that anyone can do that regardless sure. of sex. But what we tend to do when the, the the girl comes up in the drop zone is, you know, push her into small canopies if we're, we're wanting to do that because we've got this stupid idea that small small person, small canopy. Or we yeah. do it, go the other way and we go, oh, no, no, you know, you can't do that. And we you, you can't do that because you haven't got the strength or whatever sure. bullshit reason that you can think of. Yeah, sure. Well, I think guys uh, tend to either become the protector or the girl becomes the target. Yeah. Uh, one of the two. I mean, come on, that's the, the bigger drop zones. You see a, a new girl walk on the drop zone. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but the history of the sport has been it's, it's uh, who who and when. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that way. And, and uh, um, I, I have seen that change dramatically over the last few years, for sure, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah, it really yeah, is. Sure. So, uh, as as we move forward with uh, um, with your guys' experience and everything, what are the lessons that you've learned along the way that you guys can pass on to those coming up? The people are thinking of getting under small canopies, wanting to swoop. Uh, what's the progression? What do they need to be thinking about? What are the lessons they need to learn? What are the sh- what's the shit that you've done wrong um, that are going to keep them from making the same mistakes? You know what? I I think that that we the problem with our sport is everyone says the same thing and nobody listens. And and what happens is uh, what happened recently, which really kind of summed it up for me, is Al Burchard from uh, from PD uh, Marketing. He's he has a great seminar about choosing the right canopy. Mm, I know and, that, yeah. yeah, and so he's done that seminar. I, I don't know how many times, but all over the world as well. And that seminar, one of the cool, there's really good things in there, which kind of sum up everything. But one of the coolest things is enjoy the ride, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy the ride, enjoy being on that canopy that you're doing. And, and, uh, and it's, uh, there's so many good things from that seminar, but, but it's, there's no reason to do it. You know, that's the point. Why, why get to a small canopy where you can't go any further? Cause then the ride's over, right? So why not? 
enjoy the fact that that is there is a progression and there is a way to do it and there is time and it takes reps and the other thing that's really really apparent to us is that we will make mistakes pablo said that earlier you know mm-hmm. no matter what sport you're doing if you've not if you're starting it for the first time or you're new and and let's face it in terms of skydiving in terms of canopy time most people build up two minutes three minutes four minutes five minutes whatever you want to say depending on your opening altitude of canopy time and that times that number of times by whatever not jump number you have it's still a very very small part, uh, sure. amount of time and if you look at someone who's a good tennis player or a good uh, driver or a dirt bike rider or whatever it is you're into they've done days and days and years and years and years doing the same thing and we just physically can't do that so we have to enjoy the fact that it's going to take time and there's a progression sure sure and i love that from al that was he was he was the man for sure with that yeah I'm actually i i worked with him way back in 2004 2005 and cross keys back in the day mm-hmm. um it do you think uh, uh especially now um modern day being what it is social media being what it is facebook instagram all this stuff uh, I think it's more prevalent in stuff like wingsuits, but I think it still has a play in canopy stuff. I think people are watching these videos that are getting posted and thinking way too early on, "Oh, that looks easy." Pablo just did a he just did a barrel roll over that parachute. It's that, easy, right? That looks easy. He, <laughs> clearly, he just did this and that, and then some fuckwit's going to go out and try it. I mean, um, do you think the sport itself has a responsibility to itself to try and? give the right lessons maybe uh post those videos where shit didn't go right and you chowed a little bit or 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 back off on the bravado some so that uh you know that kid that thinks it all looks easy doesn't get hurt you know these these days i'm 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 always telling myself you know whenever you do a fuck up or you get a close call share it mm. share it's it huge. you know like uh, i had a i had an accident xrw accident two years ago three years ago where a wingsuiter flew in front of my parachute, in front of my peregrine, and the parachute completely collapsed. I went head down, risers went behind my neck, the parachute reinflated, bang, and then I got really, I got hurt, man, on my neck, you know? Mm. And then for a few months, five months, six months, seven months, I was thinking, you know, like, how do I feel about this video? Do I feel ashamed? Ashamed and I shouldn't share it? Or should I share it and hopefully somebody else would learn the lesson, you know? And, and, I, I chose a second decision, right? Mm. Like share the video, yeah. share it with the world, show it, and hopefully no wingsuiter will fly in front of another canopy <laughs> <laughs> because of the video I shared on social media, right? So, Or at least some won't. I mean, uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, Matt and Mike from Squirrel Suits, and, and one of the, the comments that I had made in that conversation was nobody posts the uh, terrain flying jumps that went badly because there's no video to be had. Uh, but a lot of lessons would be learned if you weren't just seeing these amazing terrain flying videos or the ones that look amazing that were actually someone, you know, six inches from death. Um, I think it's important to to put out there for sure. So being able to post a, a jump like that that shows, hey, this is what fucking went wrong. Somebody else gets to learn quite a lot. And I'm guessing that's probably a lot of your mentality with Flight One. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a real hard one because... I'm sure as you've noticed over the years, we've all been in the sport so many years that we've seen such 
trans- such amazing development of the sport, you know. Um, and I know Pablo and I, we feel old. And, and just in terms of our discipline, the way that people are flying now is incredible. The distances people are going are incredible. The wings that we're flying, you know, I remember taking the Peregrine out for the first time before the Valkyrie, you know, and the jump from the Velo to the Peregrine was just insane, you know. Mm. And then the Valkyrie came out and we're like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty decent canopy. Opens nice, you know. You're like, open, amazing, you know, for sure. <laughs> But it's not a peregrine, but it, because that that we hadn't that gone through that progression. Um, so the 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 other side, you know, just to play, play devil's advocate, is without these people doing these crazy stuff, without Pablo going, yeah, well, you know what, I think I can barrel roll and and slam my top skin into somebody else's top skin, you know, then the sport doesn't progress. And sure. without these wingsuiters doing what they're doing, um, it, you know, the, I have a lot of respect for them, and I think it's kind of like the same. I watch freestyle motocross and stuff like that that what we always have to remind ourselves is you're right they've hit so many times but you never see it and they've been doing it for you know longer than maybe that somebody's alive been alive in terms of, of this sport so and that's very easy to forget so i think as long as we're remembering that um i don't want to i don't want to stop these people doing amazing things right no 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 definitely not i think it's actually important to highlight that they're doing them but also highlight this the failures along with the successes but you're right i mean when it comes down to it we're standing on the the shoulders of giants as they say um right now i can go out tomorrow make a, a jump on my velo do a lazy 270 and do a swoop that would in 2004 have probably won me the world championship holy shit you know, that's fucking incredible because I am a, a, a fair weather weekend skydiver. You know, I don't go out to try and do anything badass. No one is ever going to come cheer me on to do anything like that. I don't even go near the water because I know I'm going to go swimming. Um, <laughs> but to be able to, to uh, go out and very comfortably do something that really in a very recent past would have been considered world championship level is insane. Uh, it's it's amazing, and it's a testament not only to the to technology that's going into it with companies like PD and and props to Icarus and and all these different companies that are doing these things, but the abilities of the canopy pilots and those teaching them, which is amazing. Now I know you guys all four just did a camp recently specifically to do is it formation flying? You guys were training, so we had two two goals on that camp we did in Dubai. One of the goals was to to pass the information, pass the, the know-how, the basics, and give the structure to this new generation, Mario and Armando, to know how to fly together, you know, informations. To, we call it team flying. But we have done it for so many years that all the static formations, they are they are boring to us now. Boring? <laughs> they, look, they look good. Man. They are they boring. Good. Yeah. They look yeah. good. They are good for <laughs> pictures, you know, yeah, but yeah. We, want, we want it to be dynamic, man. Moving, movement, aggression, you know action so so and we wanted to keep it alive because the truth is that it takes it takes hard work to be a badass sure. you know and by hard work i don't mean i mean preparation you know communications emails coordination like can you guys get on these dates together like it takes time to get sure. together you know yeah, it takes yeah. hard work to get yeah. together and a lot of emails and a lot of calls and communication so well, I can understand your draw for wanting to uh, something to be a little bit more dynamic. We live in an age where tunnel flying is now really trying to pretty much take center stage as far as air sports go. And there's really only two air sports uh, in our arena that are spectator friendly, and that's canopy swooping and tunnel flying. 
Um, and tunnel flying is so fucking dynamic and so holy shit what's going on that to compete just on an attraction level to the average wuffo, you got to be pretty damn dynamic. They don't want to just see four canopies flying together. They want to see all this craziness. And I also have said it before and I'll say it again, when it comes to swoop competitions or a day at the pond, it's a lot like NASCAR. You know, go to watch cars go around in circle. Every once in a while you want to see one hit the wall. <laughs> it's that true. That you know, luckily the wall is made out of water. <laughs> so that was one of the goals of this of that week to pass the information to the new generation, Mario and Armando. And then our second goal was to Man, there is a new piece of equipment out there in the market. Tell me. It's called the Mutant. The, the, mu- right. the Mutant. Is this the harness that has you uh, sitting in a in a uh, almost like a paraglider position? Exactly. It's a harness. It's a container from UPT that uh, allows you to have a supine position like on the paragliding sport, in the paragliding world. Yeah. So you are sitting on the harness, but you can lean back. The risers are, connect- are connected to your hips. And it's, uh, it's great for a very specific event, which is the speed event. You know, for us in competition, there is distance, speed, and accuracy. And for speed, this piece of equipment, Mutant, it makes a difference. It makes you go faster. Is it uh, the aerodynamics of it? Because you're less surface area as you're, you're on the swoop? Or is it, what is it? You got it, man. You lean back, and the only thing you are exposing to the relative wind is your feet. Okay, so why lean back as opposed to lean forward? My 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 initial reaction to that is I broke my fucking tailbone. Uh, so ass first terrifies me. I'd almost rather Superman slide across the grass. So do you know why they chose that? Uh, because for a very, very long time now in, in canopy piloting, it's been leaning forward. It's been that eight-foot-long chest strap and, and your knees are practically below your – or your chin's practically below your knees. So why back? Okay, so but the goal was the same, you know. The goal of leaning forward was was to reduce drag, mm. was to reduce drag. But now with this system, you can lean back comfortably. You only expose your feet to the relative wind, so there is no surface. And then uh, and then just by using the weight shift forward or backwards, just by leaning backwards on that mutant system, the parachute recovers by itself naturally. Oh, Jesus God! So you don't have to ab- use and abuse the rear risers, you know. Mm. Now with that being said. It's a system for very experienced jumpers. It's a system only either for very experienced paragliding pilots or for very experienced canopy pilots, competitors. Mm. With that being said, I'm not using that system. We are not go- we are not using that system for free flying, you know, for free falling. Sure. Like we keep using our javelins for that kind of skydiving, you know, for free falling, for free flying. We love our javelins for that. We love it. So comfortable and safe. Sure. But for speed... Well, now, you, but you guys are flying canopies that aren't even designed for terminal velocity openings, correct? Yeah, the Peregrine is, is definitely was was kind of geared towards that, and that, but that's mainly to to do with the lines, the, the thickness of the lines rather than the uh, the wing itself. Um, but yeah, there, there are those canopies. The other thing I'd like to add with the mutant is the the roll axis. You know, the the other thing that changes the speed that we can get is if you imagine the the stuff that you've probably seen in swoop comps where the guy's leaning forward we can do that we can't do that in the turn i mean actually you know some of the guys have, have been trying that earlier and earlier definitely in the recovery arc to adopt that position but in the turn we can't do that uh, and the the what the mutant harness gives us is such sensitivity in the roll axis the, the side to side the bank angle that when you start this thing turning dude this thing just drops because you're almost in a stand-up in the rotation wow. so you can imagine the wing the nose of the wing going in front of you 
and you're like feet to earth. Thank you, Vince Refed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Vince, for yeah, your uh, your design, your invention. You know, your pioneering with that kind of engineering. Like uh, he's the one who invented the system. UPT, they are the ones who engineer the the real final product, and and we are the ones who are taking advantage of it. Well, so it sounds to me like uh, the mutant almost um, take it's taking the risers and the toggles almost out of the equation to some degree, and it's literally becoming just leaning and f- f- almost flying your body and the wing is doing what your body wants to do is that i mean that's what it sounds like to me i mean i remember the first time i flew a canopy that was small enough that when i leaned in the harness the thing turned and i went oh my god that's so fucking cool i leaned and it turned so this is like next level times 10 that every small little movement you're doing almost without input from from risers and toggles toggles brakes they break and rears, they slow down too, you know? But sure. Everything, well, yeah, everything, everything increases drag. Anything you can do with your weight, instead of using controls, it will it will maintain speed. So, just, oh, Did you guys ever think? Oh, it's an experience, for sure. I mean, we're, we're not experienced using this harness, for sure. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have a, a training program developed. Uh, in Bobo develops a training program for specifically for the harness. So when you buy the harness... Uh, through UPT it goes through to an ambassador um, for the harness and, and they take you through a training course very intense training course so we had the, the privilege of going through the course with Pablo and it, it kind of uh, allowed us to um, really kind of put ourselves back into the student student side I don't know what you guys think my, my European friends here but it, to, totally like we, we're back at student status which is uh, the, there's nothing better than, than learning again right so for you guys you guys came in as the velocity was coming into play and the velocity for me is is st- in my memory is still like the seminal event in canopies I still fly velocity to this day uh, I don't ever see myself flying anything different for if for no other reason for currency and and again no one's ever going to be impressed with my swoops so I'm I'm not going to push it to that level it's plenty fun flying a velocity but for you guys um, you came into it where it was already at such a high level where do you guys see this going from here I mean holy shit well uh, I have to say that I love and I still have uh, a velocity with me and I still love to jump with it because Great I. Is, is is your first is my first love mm. so like yeah. seriously Indeed. like it was the first canopy developed uh, by a skydivers with engineers with uh calculation the frame the air pressure inside outside so and what is still my love and mm. I still uh, I'm proud to say yeah I use it sure yeah so and uh yeah man we are in in as we start we are in a, such a wave that where the sport was developing I clearly see this wave come again. Mm. So now we are not talking anymore just at, at the canopies, not anymore just at the line. We talk about even the harness and uh, the way to fly, the way to teach. So this part is 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 fun as fuck because it never stops. No, no, and I don't you, think you, it ever will. You can never say, okay, we have done. There is nothing more to do. No, man. Day by day, year by year, there is always something to learn, always something to develop. Yeah, no, the progression keeps coming in as the technology gets more and more and more and more people with that type of knowledge are attracted to the sport. I'm, I'm continuously blown away by the level of um, ingenuity and intelligence and design that is that has come into skydiving because when I came into skydiving, it felt like 
it was a bunch of people that were like me, just trying to avoid responsibility. So we went and fell out of airplanes and, and some smart guy designed the stuff. But now on a daily basis, you're jumping with these guys and, and they're coming out of the woodwork and, and they're hands on and just designing these amazing things. It's, it's super cool too, to see sitting in here, two different generations doing the same thing and the passing of the torch, so to speak, but not passing the torch and walking away, but passing the torch of knowledge and continuing with them. And I don't think there's too many sports that do that, which is the coolest thing. I mean, fuck, I turned 50 this year and I still feel like a kid because I get to come play with a bunch of kids. No, I don't see age in skydiving. I don't, I don't, that's an old guy. This is young. Well, unless you see somebody in a big old brand X suit with the frat hat, maybe, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, it seems to be an ageless sport that I think is going to continue that way, which is fucking awesome. I, I applaud you guys for, for coming together as a team, uh, multi-generation, generationally and, and, uh, continuing to, to push the limits with one of the most successful teams in the sport. That's super awesome. So, um, as we wrap things up, I want to know how does everybody follow you guys? Um, where are they going to go to find out about PD team? How do they find out about flight one? How do they find out about you guys individually if they want to follow you as athletes? So one at a time, please tell me, let's go Instagram, Facebook, whatever you want to share. So as a team, we are on the different social platforms, definitely. So we have a website, pdfactoryteam.com. We have a Facebook page, pdfactoryteam.com, uh, Instagram. And then we have a, a Flyvon website, which is our our training educational website where we present our courses and curriculum, syllabus, our educational uh, products. So that's where you can find us. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody uh, got a, a personal athlete page they want followed? Everybody of the team has uh, the personal uh, Facebook page and uh, even Instagram. And, uh, well, we you can find us uh, by person all around the world, like, you can meet me in Skydive Spain in Sevilla, more or less all year long, as long as I don't train and compete uh, with my brotherhoods. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will make sure uh, as the episode comes out, uh, all you guys are going to be listed with uh, uh, any contact info that you want in regard to websites and all that fun stuff, so they'll know how to get to you. Uh, any parting words, anything, any any more knowledge to pass on, any, any last things you want people to know? Enjoy every day, man. Keep charging. That's it. One day at a time. One step at a time. <laughs> Get out there and jump, huh? Yes. Uh, yeah. Skydive, man. Skydive, right. baby. All right. Once again, uh, folks, uh, a bunch of gentlemen sitting in here. I've had uh, four of the PD Factory team crammed into a very small toilet, getting drunk off of rum and coke and shooting the shit with me. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Gentlemen, it's been a privilege and an honor to have you here. Uh, I, I hope to follow all of your uh, uh, antics for quite some time to come. I want to see the new fancy shit that's coming out. So, uh, gentlemen, again, thank you. Cheers and blue skies. Thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All right, this has been another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with me, the fucking pilot, brought to you proudly in association with Blue Skies Magazine. Head on over to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can get yourself some really cool swag like leggings and t-shirts and previously published uh, issues, and you can also submit your own really cool stories. If I can write for the magazine, so can you, so drop a line to Laura and Cola and let them know what you've been up to. 
As for me, uh, you can catch my stuff at thefuckingpilot.net. There you're going to have links not only to all my guests, but you're going to be able to get your hands on both the books that I've published. Uh, the Blue Skies Magazine Fucking Pilot book was the first one out, and the second one out now is The Accidental Stripper. Uh, you can catch both of those in digital and print format via Amazon, but links straight to them are on my website. You can also catch me on Facebook at the Effin Pilot, E-F-F-I-N Pilot, and Instagram at the Princess Pilot. Uh, both of those will get you links not only to my stuff, but to my guest as well. As always, it's been a blast having you, and we will see you next time around on Lunatic Fringe Into the Void.